When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 5th, the Parenting and Politics Edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13, and I live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, a contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, host of Slate's The Kids Are Asleep, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I cover the courts and the law for Slate's, and I host the Amicus podcast for Slate. And I am the mother to Kobe, who is 17, and Sofer, who is 15. And we've moved quite a lot of time since COVID, but right now we are in Toronto. Toronto, beautiful Toronto. Lucky, lucky you. Warm, balmy Toronto. (laughs) Dolly, we're so happy to have you here with us today. What a treat. I did not realize that your kids are so old now. That is remarkable. I'm sure there's a way to take that that doesn't imply that I'm also so old now. But oh, it, no, you were, feels, you were a teenage mother, of course. It feels very apt today, so I'm going to let it just roll off me. We're all feeling about 10 years very older than we usually are today. today. That's for sure. So four years ago, we did an episode agonizing about how to talk about Trump with your kids. That was rough. That was just a few weeks after we did an episode with parents of girls talking about how excited they were about an upcoming Hillary victory. That was obviously a huge mistake. But today we're somewhere in between those two emotions. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon right here in America, the day after Election Day, and things are evolving by the minute. The news is changing every second. Very likely when you finally listen to this podcast, maybe sometime Thursday, the circumstances will be really different. But nevertheless, we got to talk about the election. It's the number one topic of conversation in every single family that we know. So today we're answering a question pretty close to all of our hearts. A parent asks, how can you tell your kids it's going to be okay if you're just not sure that it will be? Then we've got a question from a mom who's trying to achieve peace with hours of screen time in 2020, but she just can't quite get herself there. How many episodes of The Simpsons is too many episodes of The Simpsons? As always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations. But first of all, we have a shocking reveal, which is that Jamila, as of Wednesday afternoon, I understand that you literally have no idea what has happened to the presidential election. Is that correct? So almost no idea. My intention was to have no idea. And I was going to tell you all, but I was like, no, it's so unlikely that I'll be able to pull this off. I'm not going to like, you know, get them excited about or terrified about having to tell me this. So like, I didn't look at the news throughout the day. 
I stopped looking at social media pretty early, like say around three o'clock. And then maybe I checked in maybe once or twice around six, but like, I wasn't really looking for news. I was kind of like, just looking, you know, to see if there was any big, huge headline and there wasn't. And so I moved on. I remember 2016 very clearly. It was one of the most difficult nights of, of many of our lives. I'm just not putting myself through this. I'm going to watch Shit's Creek. And I ordered takeout and had ice cream and a waffle cone. And I soaked my feet and I had a good night. And so at one point, I just kind of got a little bit like curious before I settled down for the evening. I'd stop at CBS. And I saw a couple of broken hearts, like on Twitter, like people posting, you know, heart, you know, rappers posting a heartbreak and getting 2000 retweets and racism. It looks like racism is winning again. And I was like, that's it. I'm not looking. A couple of hours later, I hear some honking. Now, in my part of town, that could go either way. Yeah, that's tough. When you just move, you don't know which your neighbors are going to hide you in the attic. Yeah, I, I sincerely do not know that. Um, I, I do know which of my neighbors wears a maga hat every day, you know. Um, so you won't ask for that guy's help. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I hear this clapping. So I immediately had a bad feeling. I was like, oh, shit, well, that's that. And then I was like, well, no, like, I really gave it some thought. I'm like, this area is more, you know, more Biden than Trump. So I'm watching Shit's Creek to keep my mind off of all this stuff. And there's a heartbreaking plot twist that I didn't expect. I won't ruin it for anyone, but it happens toward the end of season six. And it like brought me to like, I'm sobbing. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I can't even have joy on Shit's Creek. And then I'm like, well, this was my escapism. So I'm like, well, now I have to do some online shopping. So I pick up the ultimate device. And the home screen, because like it's the kid's phone, ends up being like Yahoo or some shit. And I see the current electoral. So I went to sleep like it's undecided. Like it looked, you know what I mean? It was hovering around 50% of the, uh, you know, them each getting 50% of the vote um, and it not being clear where it was going to go. So I, that's all I know. So it seems like you had a real roller coaster of a journey of emotions just with your decision to not watch the news. Yes. So in the end, do you think it was the right choice? Yes, because when I saw the current vote, I mean, the current like total, it mentioned that Trump had like erroneously said that he'd won. And so like the fact that I didn't have to live through that made me feel good. So and the fact that it wasn't a nail biter for me. So it's like now I've, I felt like I'd begun to accept that he had that Trump had won again. And I also had a moment where I saw a vision where Biden wins. So I'm kind of like, okay, I feel like I've had the big, the outsized version of each of those emotions. And now I'm just kind of still. Well, when people listen to this on Thursday, we may prove to be totally naive in this discussion. And Dolly, I'd love to hear what you have to say. But it seems to me like we're in a better position now with the election than maybe you thought we were. Like, basically, the place we're at is Biden is leading in a bunch of states that are crucial it seems likely he will add on to that lead as more votes are counted. Trump is yelling about how those votes shouldn't be counted and threatening to take it to the courts, which, as Dahlia can explain to us, is not just as easy as calling them on the phone. And the longer that votes keep getting counted, the more votes come in for Biden and the more that it seems he's likely to win the states he will need to win to win the election. 
But is there anything I'm missing, Dahlia? I don't think so. I'm still stuck on the fact that Jamila had essentially the roller coaster that those of us on like the Slate Edit Slack had, except it was like entirely produced by Schitt's Creek, Waffle Cones, CVS, (laughs) and online shopping. Like it's kind of just an amazing thing to think. You had the same unbelievable intensity of emotion, but devoid of all this drag. Like, it makes me a little jealous. Like, you could have the highs and the lows, but not have to, like, be watching George Stephanopoulos talk to Chris Christie all night. So, I don't know. I think you win. But, yeah, I think, I mean, the upshot, I think Ben's got it about right. I think certainly the evening started crushingly when it became clear there was going to be no huge blue wave, no mass repudiation, right? I think for a lot of... But we didn't win the House. I mean, Dems took the House but lost uh, between 10 and 12 seats. So they still have the majority, but a lot of losses. And I think the Senate is probably lost. It's looking like it's going to be 48 to 50, 48 Dem, 50 Republicans with two seats left to determine in Georgia. The best that could happen if the unlikely happens with these two runoff seats is 50-50, right? Yeah. That's fairly bad. And I think that the thing none of us expected, which is funny because we've had four years of evidence to the contrary, is that Donald Trump acted like a complete lunatic and the party seems to not be following. In other words, when he gave his declaration at two in the morning, which might be why you heard the honking, that he'd won the election, even though none of the battleground states had yet finished counting. Uh, and it was crazy. And then he started saying the election was stolen and he was going to take it to the Supreme Court. Instead of bolstering that, people like Chris Christie and Marco Rubio said, you know, no, actually, we have to count all the votes. So I think we're in a weird King Lear posture now where Donald Trump is standing alone in the heath screaming and rending his clothes and much of the party is like that old guy's crazy and that seems to be where we are I think yeah seems right what happened that he was like all right it's over I won (laughs) it was becoming clearer and clearer as the night went on that he was getting further and further behind in the electoral count when he made that speech he was behind in multiple states he would have needed to win yes I think that in the early part of the evening, when it swings back and forth, there were moments where he was up by a few, Biden was up by a few. But it wasn't like Hillary Clinton four years ago, where, you know, it was a shellacking that grew as a shellacking, if anything, by the time. But we're not being entirely fair, because we should say, Jamila, that Biden got up and gave what was apparently a very provocative and insulting speech in which he said, count all the votes. It's not over till we count all the votes. That literally appears to have been the triggering event for Donald Trump to say, I'm the winner, you're the loser, and everybody should stop counting. Except, by the way, in Arizona, where they should keep counting. So that, I think, is, I think you're fully caught up now. And this is all pretty relevant to the question we're going to answer today, which is about you know, managing emotions around all these things. Jamila's roller coaster ride, our roller coaster rides, Dahlia and mine, bear some resemblance in, in lots of ways to what a lot of people have gone through over the last few days and are continuing to go through inside of families. And Jamila, your emotional swing suggests that we're all basically so on edge that 
no matter what we do at this point, we're going to experience just enormous wild mood swings, whether we try and restrain ourselves from seeing the news or not. So we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to our question. All right, let's move on to some triumphs and fails. Jamila, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I basically had decided that I would categorize this as a triumph or fail based on the outcome of the election. And surprise, surprise, we don't have a clear outcome of the election, despite the fact that it looks like maybe possibly we're going to get the outcome that we so desperately want. The fact that it was not a resounding decision, that it was not clear, that we didn't wake up today with the birds chirping and the sun shining and, and the knowledge that things will at least improve to some significant extent at a foreseeable time in the future. So because of that, here's how I'm going to categorize this. Triumph. So last week, Naima and I passed an old school Americana themed diner, right? All the things that you think of when you think of a diner, you know, 50s decor, et cetera, and a lot of American flags. And I will say I have a low threshold for American flag displayage. When there's a lot of it, I typically, you know, assume that it, it, it's a political statement of a certain kind these days. I'm a coastal elite. I've lived in, you know, New York, L.A., D.C., and Chicago. So these are places where you don't typically see liberals or even moderate folks displaying an American flag unless they have a relative um, or loved one who is a military person. Otherwise, the display of the flag, particularly in recent years, is an endorsement of the current president. For me, politically, to display the flag is not something I would do because I stand in opposition to so much of what the United States stands for and has done, right? So it's like, perhaps it's aspirational. One day this flag will be, you know, in my mind, I think we would need a new flag. Um, but, you know, maybe one day, but it's certainly not something that I would be doing anytime soon, uh, no matter what the outcome of this election. So with that context, of course, so goes my daughter's relationship to the American flag. And I, I think I've told the story on here before uh, of when she was maybe three, because I had a habit of allowing her to watch some adult cartoons when she was a bit younger, because it was a break from, you know, her shows for me and she would enjoy them, but she didn't understand them. So I thought it was safe up until a certain point. And it was until she got old enough to start, you know, picking things up. So we had to stop. And we were at O'Hare Airport and it was around the 4th of July and she saw American flags everywhere. And she says, oh, my God, it's the American dad flag. Look, it's the American dad flag. So little patriot I am not raising. Even though she doesn't want to be the president of the United States, she was Kamala Harris for Halloween. It was adorable. Uh, she had her first blowout. It was the whole thing. It's actually on the, um, the day that she was getting her hair done. We walk past this Americana themed diner and she looks at it and she's points and she's like, it's American themed restaurant. And I was like, well, yes and no. And I will say like for someone who has a low threshold for, you know, stars and stripes stuff, I wouldn't say it was that bad, but it's Americana themed. And it did have, you know, they did have a couple of flags up and she's like, what? I explained it to her. I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, people are proud of being American. It's not always, you know, that they're saying I support Donald Trump. Or she's like, <laughs> it just looks so racist. I mean, come on. Like, she just kept looking like, so my triumph one is her sophistication. Because she was just so like, are you kidding me right now? Like, she looked at me as if we saw like a poop themed restaurant. Like, she just could not believe, like the audacity, like, <laughs> who, who's among us? What? 
ever. Like it's like she almost she recoiled as if it was like a clan themed restaurant. Honestly, she was like, no one else. Did you see this? Did anyone else see this? So I, I'm proud of a child who is so unintentionally funny, who's so sophisticated in her delivery of things that are on her mind. And also who is that level of cynical about America? Because I think it's that level of cynicism that will push her to either continue, because I think of her as a little activist, continue to push to make things better, or that she will choose herself and pick a life outside of or living here, but being completely divested from what goes on here in a way that makes her very happy. But either way, I think she's very clear. She's not going to become one of those accidental it's all good, USA, woo-hoo-hoo girls. And we worked very hard at that. I call it a triumph, yeah, for sure. No matter what ends up happening in the election, I think that that's some good indoctrination. Good work. Thank you. I also have an indoctrination-related triumph. We've been watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with our kids. Generally, it's been really fun. The kids really like the show. Alia had watched the whole series before we started it. And so after we were when we were talking about it, I was like, hey, you know, is it appropriate for the kids? And she was like, oh, sure, it's appropriate. Then she was like, well, I mean, there's, you know, there's there's a song about period sex or whatever. And I was like, excuse me, but whatever. It's been fine. It's extremely inappropriate, but that ship has sailed for our children. And they are always yelling things to the screen like, no, Rebecca, don't just poop on the lawn. Or, oh, what is that sex toy supposed to do? Or whatever. Anyways, we had a totally fascinating moment this week that it's possible, I'm certain many people would view as a fail, but I was both shocked by but also proud of. Uh, have you either of you guys seen the show? Not I enough haven't. to know where this is okay. going, no. All right. Well, it's extremely inappropriate. It's also very funny. The songs are great. Not to spoil too much for you or who should watch it. It's great. Or for any listeners who haven't watched it. But there's a character on the show who's a middle-aged person who has teenage kids she is finally pursuing her long-deferred dreams, and then she finds out she's pregnant. And she definitely doesn't want to have another kid. And she and her husband sort of vaguely talk about what they could do about it, but not explicitly. You know, he's like, you have options. And she's like, options are for teenagers the month after winter formal, not for me. <laughs> and so while we're watching this episode, I was extremely surprised to hear my children start yelling at the screen in the middle of the episode, have an abortion, just have an abortion. Why won't you have an abortion? Just have an abortion, lady, geez. So on the one hand, you know, yikes. <laughs> but on the other hand, no, there's it is no 100% yikes. clear that having an abortion is the exact right thing for this character under these circumstances. That is what the show has set us up to understand would be the exact right thing for her under these circumstances. So I was like weirdly, perversely proud of my children for cheering for an abortion, a thing you don't typically want your kids necessarily to do, but in this circumstance, it seemed just right. So I'm going to take that as a triumph. I won't spoil whether she has an abortion or not. It's just funny, Dan, that your kids realize they're reflexively pro-choice on the same week that Ivanka Trump released and realized that she is reflexively pro-life. So maybe that just keeps the, exactly, the scales balanced. Exactly. It's kind of yeah. beautiful. I'm so glad that's the thing that I did not know happened. Oh, it happened. <laughs> it happened. When I say I've tapped out, like yeah. I'm working on myself and my book proposal and I am focused elsewhere, but good for Ivanka. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I think that this is, uh, it's a resounding triumph, but I also think that like, we need to normalize, you know, it's such a yucky word now, but we need to normalize actually cheering for the abortion and feeling comfortable with that. I don't think there's an asterisk by it. I don't think it's like, well, you don't necessarily, or you don't typically, or you don't usually, it's like, no, you do. You want to cheer for the abortion that somebody wants to have and can have, Yep. right? Like if they want to not be pregnant, and they are able to have, like, that's worth cheering. The same time when you're faced with a difficult conversation with someone, you know, and they're grappling with their options. And, you know, because many of us have been or will find ourselves in a situation where we have to talk to a loved one who's trying to make that decision. It's a difficult thing to weigh in on someone else's life. And I've done it. I've offered advice, you know, in a number of situations where the person took it and, you know, or so happened that what they wanted was what I also thought was best, I should say. And there were times where, you know, what I thought I, you know, what I said I would do or what I thought they should do wasn't it. But it happens. But I think we have to normalize saying that, like, I feel like this is the right thing, you know, or if I were in your shoes, this is what I would do. And I would do it with, with pride. And and that's okay. It's okay to not want to be pregnant. It's thrilling to know that your girls are confidently saying that as opposed to, you know, most of the abortion narratives that we hear being, you know, I was one month after the winter formal, yeah. you know, and I still regret that. Or it's okay because I was, it's only okay because I was one, it was one month after the winter formal. I was a teenager. Everyone understands that. You know, or I was assaulted. Everyone understands that. It's like, no, most people who have abortions have kids already. And they don't want any more. And that's okay. And also playing it out in a, like, really safe place, like, with your parents, like, on TV. Like, I just can't think of a more healthy, safe way to, like, test that. I'd much rather have them try it out (laughs) sitting around watching tv with the parents then you know try it out (laughs) the week after winter formal when you have to think about it or had to have that conversation for the first time with a friend or someone close to them and not having really thought through this at all like that definitely seems powerful and useful yeah all right dahlia triumph or fail from you this week this one really does feel like it's on the line for me but it requires the tiny bit of context that i have without any intention, raised one kid who is essentially like your Naima, like just totally political, totally activist, totally out there. You know, what you see is what you get. And that's my older son. And then another kid who is just, I don't know what the opposite of that is. Like, I think of him as just like a a small 72-year-old, like accountant who never wants to really be, you know, in the fight and is sort of reluctantly dragged along by a pretty activist mom. And so I'm always very careful to, you know, if I write about my kids, I write about my oldest kid and I check with him and he's comfortable with that. And my younger kid is just, you know, like there's never a moment with him where he's not at least in my head, like shoulders rucked up around his ears, like hoping I don't like drag him into my stuff. And, and like, you know, he's 15 and he's fully grown and he is who he is. And I've always tried to really honor that, but I did find myself writing about him this week um, because I was trying to write about political courage, which is exactly the thing you're describing Jamila actually. And that you're also describing Dan, like, you know, we want our kids to have political courage and the courage of their convictions. And I was writing a piece about, in my view, all the heroes of the last four years who didn't think they were that person. (laughs) And then suddenly they're phone banking and calling strangers and knocking on doors. And I just wanted to sort of celebrate that no matter who won the election, a lot of people have come a really long way in terms of becoming what it seems like 
name already is, which is like fully confident in who she is. And so I started this piece. And of course, I thought about my younger son, who four years ago, when he was, you know, 11, I guess, and right after Trump was elected and was just like, dude, there are kids in my class who are going to get beat up and yelled at for wearing a headscarf or for being undocumented. And he, the way he said it broke my heart at the time. He said, I'm never going to be the number one guy in, ever. I'm not the number one guy in to stop that. I will be the number two guy mom, but I'm never. <laughs> and I loved like his self-knowledge at the time, you know, that he was never going to yeah. be that guy. But like if somebody else like stepped in and like stopped it, he would have their back. And I thought it was such a like weird, quirky, self-aware, also like 72-year-old man Disclosure, and I so I put it in my piece that we had had that conversation, and that we spent a lot of time that year in 2016, and like we lived in Charlottesville in 2017 when the Nazis marched through. So that was a huge part of talking about like what do you do when like it's not in your temperament, but you feel like you have to act. So I wrote framing that, but then like I read it to him, and I was like, "Listen, I'm going to take this out of my piece because I know." I know you hate this and you do not want this. You do not want me to write about you. I didn't name him or anything. Whatever Anybody who read would know. And he thought about it for like, I don't know, you all, like seven minutes. Like He just stood there, thought about it. He's like, hmm, okay, keep it in. I got to be a little bit brave sometime. And I was just like, Aww, well, good, for, good him. for him, but also like, God, I hate dragging my kids into my shit. Like, I hate it, and especially the ones who don't. You know, this was me making him stand for something. And I think it's just super complicated because it's like, I know he's okay. He would have told me if it wasn't okay. But I also just feel like, I, and I guess it just goes to, like, this moment where, like, nobody gets to be neutral. And nobody gets to be a kid. And nobody gets to not, you know gets smashed into into a political valence that doesn't suit them. But, like, part of me just feels like, man, I, like, did a thing that I, like, I hit send on it. And then, like, I just spent the whole day being like, I suck. I suck. I suck for pushing him into that. So that's my, I think it's a fail. But maybe it's a no. triumph. No, but- <laughs> it's a triumph. You would suck if you didn't. I mean, it's not like... You know, it, it's not as if when he said, look, I'm not going to be your number one guy, but I'm number two, that you said, well, number two is not good enough. You know, like you've given him the space to be himself, but also to, you know, employ these values that are very important. And more parents, more white parents have to be yeah. very clear about like, it's not OK for you to sit by and watch and like. Eventually, the kid who's like, I'm not the number one kid gets to the point where in his mind, he's not the number one kid until he looks up and and thinks back to the times that he stood up and spoken up for someone. And he was the first person in line, you know, and and, and he very well may be there already, despite not feeling like he, you know, like in his mind, he's like, okay, somebody else. But when he actually sees something awful happen, you know, like who's to say what actually emerges from him because of the foundation that you've given him? Like, honestly, as much as I admire Naima and she's so bold and she's also been politically indoctrinated by three radical, you know, left-leaning parents, uh, various degrees of radical, but I'd say three very leftist parents and, you know, leftist grandparents and just being black in America. 
But like, and, and she's an Aries, you know, which drives Dan crazy. But I do believe that she is inclined. Oh, to, an, Aries. an Aries. Oh, I get her now. So yeah, I get her. Yeah, I get her. You know, so she's inclined to to lead and to be kind of self uh, centered, but not selfish. Very giving, but very focused on the idea of herself as this leader. But even with that, I don't think like I, I just think like a lot of little black girls, she doesn't feel like she could not be the number one guy. Like she feels like she's first in. Like she's a canary in the coal mine, you know. And so. That's why I'm like, I, but I also know that there are a lot of privileges that she has over a lot of other little black girls and a lot of little white girls, a lot of girls, period, you know, left children, period. And so with that, I, I think it's very important that she feels, you know, charged up and fired up to, to fight for herself and others. And, and on her behalf, it's incredibly important that your son feels that way too. And oh, I think it's great. You. And, and you shouldn't feel that you've done anything to him. If any, you, you've made him, you know, a better person. Thank you. Writing about kids is really hard. You know, I've done it a lot. Dolly, you've done it sometimes. Jamila, you've done it. It's a thing that we balance all the time in our writing. The point in your life when you start to feel that your kid needs to have a say in that is tricky for writers. But I think that you handled it right. I also think it's probably the right way to think about it is that it is a triumph that you gave him the chance to think about it. It's a triumph for him that he agreed. Even though there are two triumphs, it's something you will continue to think and feel slightly guilty about for a long time, and that's probably fine. Okay, I'll take it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. All right, before we move on, let's talk some business. In our Slate Plus segment this week, dealing with a politically divided country is one thing. What about when you and your kids are on the opposite ends of the political spectrum? Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. So I'm like a huge believer in like living on different continents um, <laughs> because I think that at least then it's abstracted away into like you can send me your, you know, dumb article that like Dennis Prager wrote and I will go completely apeshit on you in an email. But like at least we're not screaming at each other in front of the children. To hear segments like that and to get ad free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. It's a great way to support your favorite Slate podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, and you won't hit a paywall on the site so you can keep up with all of Slate's journalism. So support Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Go to slate.com slash plus and join Slate Plus today. If you haven't yet watched Jamila's Slate live show, The Kids Are Asleep, you're really missing out. She's streaming every Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, Except tonight, this Thursday, she's off tonight, but she'll be back on next week. And you can catch all of her previous shows. She's talked recently to Morgan Fletcher and Tony Wilson from Girls for Gender Equity, uh, to the Senior Vice President of Planned Parenthood, and to many others. The conversations are really good, fascinating, funny, a little bit blue, but also a little bit meaty and comprehensive. I really like it a lot. It's definitely worth a watch. We'll have links to Slate's YouTube and Facebook pages in our show notes. So check out The Kids Are Asleep.
You can keep up with all of Slate's parenting content by signing up for the Slate Parenting Newsletter. It's the best place to hear about mom and dad are fighting, new episodes of The Kids Are Asleep, Ask a Teacher, Care and Feeding, much, much more. we got brand new exciting Care and Feeding columnists that the newsletter will tell you all about. Plus, it's just a personal email from me every week, just spilling my feelings out on the page and sending them to your inbox. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. And if you want even more parenting advice, join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active. It's full of people giving good advice, answering questions, occasionally hectoring posters, but then we ban them. It's a really, really nice group full of useful people. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook and join today. Okay, back to the show. On to our first listener question. It's being read by the fantabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, my newly eight-year-old son is not doing okay with the election. He's waking up in the night worrying about Trump winning again. He already has generalized anxiety issues. We are not citizens and thus cannot vote, which makes him feel powerless. He's terrified that, as an immigrant child, he will be taken away by ICE. Though I have told him that for better or for worse, the country's horrible racist policies make it extremely unlikely that our white family will be targeted but none of that helps when he's up at four in the morning having panic attacks. Do you have a kid who is panicking? How are you talking to them, and what are you saying? How are you reassuring them? Are you taking any specific actions politically or with your child? Thank you. Dahlia, you've been covering this administration for 100 years, I'm sure it feels (laughs) like to you. How are you talking to your kids about this election, and what kinds of panic are they exhibiting I ask now as you were just thinking about how worried you are about using your kids in your writing. But let's go. No, I mean, it's so hard because I'm, you know, remembering four years ago when my kids were younger and closer to where, you know, the listener is. And they were out of their minds. I mean, they were out of their minds. They weren't sleeping. They were, you know, just as I started in my last answer, you know, already jacked up about what does it mean when a guy who comes down an escalator announces his candidacy and says all Mexicans are rapists? Like, what does that mean when you're a kid? And, you know, in our case, I, you know, my one policy was to try to sort of, and it's hard because you're living on a seam. I mean, I'm curious what you guys are going to say because your kids are a little younger, but you're on this seam between like never lying to them and I cannot lie to them. And the one thing my kids said to me when I was sort of preparing even for this conversation was like, don't lie to your kids because they need to trust you now because other authorities have failed them. And like, they really need to know that you're on team truth. And I take that like deeply to heart. But at the same time, like, I don't know how you say to your kids, like, yeah, we do live in a country where it turns out some kids are put in cages and other kids are separated from their parents. Like, it's freaking awful. And I didn't grow up like this. And so I can't even say, oh, when I was a kid, I was similarly terrified of being hauled off to a camp. Like, it's just so outside of my experience. And so I think, like, on that seam of trying to reassure them that you are safe, mom and dad are here, we are going to take care of you, Uh, you know, you 
for whatever quirk of luck, be either because you're white or because they're just not deporting Norwegians, you know, you are probably going to be one of the lucky ones and to find a way to find empathy in all that, to find compassion for people who really are legitimately terrified. In other words, it's really, really hard to say to a kid, don't be scared. Nothing bad is going to happen. We've spent four years seeing horrific things happen, even to children. And at the same time, like, I just think we have to, our job is to, like, keep them stable. And particularly if they're fragile and if they're worried, to try to find that way to say, you're a kid. You're eight. This is hard. We're doing our best. We're fighting every day. <laughs> And also, like, this isn't on you, and your job is, like, to eat and sleep and watch TV, and like Jamila said in the answer to the last thing, to be a compassionate, empathetic human being who fights injustice. None of this is good. Like, it's, it's, it's horrifying, and it's because I didn't grow up with these existential fears. It's really hard to put myself in the head of an eight-year-old who is suffering them, but I just feel like we have to take it incredibly seriously, and in some sense, like, kudos to the listener who raised a child who's anxious, because I think the alternative is to raise a child who's entitled and checked out. But at the same time, like, you cannot lie. And so I think all you can do is say, we're working really hard day and night. We're trying to fix systems. We're trying to make it better. Here are three things we can do together so that your kid is empowered to work with you. And then at the same time, to just be like, this, this is where we are. That's a crap answer. I'm sorry, but there it is. How do you guys think about talking about your own anxiety about this election, particularly with your kids? That falls under the category of honesty, but it also sometimes falls under the category of does it help your kid feel safe if they see how bad you truly feel? And I think last election, because we viewed a Trump victory as so unlikely – we didn't feel as much anxiety as we should have, and we also didn't really convey any anxiety to our kids at all. And this election, we've definitely swung completely around the other way and are being extremely open about our anxiety and nerves and depression about this with our kids in a way that I worry is detrimental for other reasons. How do you guys think about that? You know, I agree with Dahlia. Uh, there are a lot of things that we just don't keep from Naima. We've been honest with her. I mean, she's been talking about kids in cages for a year. You know, I remember taking her to a friend's daughter's birthday party a couple of years ago and it was superhero themed and the kids, you know, like were able to, you know, one of the things that they did was like, if you were a superhero, what would your powers be? And like her, I forgot what she called herself, but like her power was getting kids out of cages. You know, like this was something that was weighing heavily on her mind and she had to have been, you know, five at the oldest at that point. You know, and I, I think I've mentioned on here before, it's part of the reason that Naomi was a little bit, a little bit, Name's a little bit spoiled, you know. Um, it's part of the reason that I indulged her and that I let her watch Living Single and you know what I mean, and and the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and certain things. Like I indulged her in certain ways and exposed her to certain things because one, I want her to be very clear on which in the world she lives. And and I know that I gleaned a lot of information about that from pop culture content, in addition to the political conversations I was having with my parents, just some of the jokes about race and sex and you know, helps to clue me in on certain things. And, you know, and, and these things were shared with me. And that's the same thing that we've done with Naima. I made a different decision this time around with this election in terms of what I shared with her, but also how I dealt with it. And so me choosing not to engage in 
a lot of uh, news coverage in the last 24 hours, you know, me kind of looking away intentionally was an act of self-care. It was me admitting that I'd given what I could to this fight and that, you know, to take myself through that was not going to be good for me necessarily and, and not, you know, beneficial to me contributing to what comes next, no matter how good or bad the outcome. And that's essentially how I approach sharing information with her after the primaries were decided. I was a Warren surrogate. You know, she came to events with me. She got to meet Senator Warren. You know, um, we dealt with the emotional highs and lows. And just the insight that I got from the inside of that campaign made me very fearful for the outcome of the national election. And so that's when I started to realize that, like, I need to pull in a little bit. And I don't want her to. She's lived through a Trump presidency. It is the definitive presidency of her life. I've always made her clear that she's going to be safe. Like when we got caught in the protest by mistake that time, you know, and, and couldn't get out and she experienced tear gassing, like she had her traumatic experience. So like after that, you know, and just kind of thinking about like the, the what ifs, I'd rather her feel safe and stable as possible now. And we would deal with what came. So she's clear, you know, I, I never told her that 100% Biden's going to win, Kamala's going to be, be the VP, and it's going to be great and exciting. You know, I told her this is possible, but we know what this country has done. Meanwhile, let's talk about these Barbie dolls. Let's talk about Moesha. Let's look elsewhere. In our house last night, uh, Lyra was feeling super stressed out about the election um, and was, you know, she was supposed to be working on some homework. Instead, she was just like looking at the news and looking at the news and looking at the news. And that felt like a moment where some actual parenting was needed, you know, and where it seemed like an affirmative case of you are spiraling the way that everyone is spiraling right now, the way I'm spiraling. So let's all knock ourselves out of this together. So we watched a crazy ex-girlfriend in which she shouted for someone. Go abortion. abortion. Right. Um, But that like really helped, I think. And I do think you can do both things as a parent. You can be honest about your anxieties and fears, but you can also watch your kid carefully and look for the times that this anxiety is becoming overwhelming to them and intentionally redirect them, whether it's towards something innocuous like a Moesha or whether it's towards something active like writing letters or making phone calls to legislatures or going to a protest or uh, donating to a cause or whatever. Like, I think you can be both kinds of parent. And in fact, these times demand that you be both kinds of parent right now. Mm -hmm. The honest one who is clear about what's at stake and respects your child's anxiety and nervousness about these things as legitimate and real and the kind parent who sees when those things are getting out of control and redirects appropriately. That's Mm -hmm. my, that's the advice I would give to this letter writer. And it's not, it doesn't universally help and it won't universally help in every case. But I do think that you should think of yourself as those kinds of parents simultaneously and use your gut to decide when do I need to give this kid treatment A and when do I need to give this kid treatment B. The one other thing I'd say in response to this uh, letter is if your child really, truly is having actual honest-to-God panic attacks at 4 in the morning, you, she, uh, he should also be talking to someone. Like this, we, we advise this all the time and we're always right, which is if, if it is seriously waking your child up with panic attacks, it would definitely benefit your son to be talking to someone professional so that you are not the only people who are helping him through this difficult time. Absolutely. Good luck, listener. Please let us know how it goes. Also, hopefully someday soon there might be resolution to this question. Perhaps it will be a resolution that will make your son feel a little bit happier like many of us. That would be great. 
you know, if it goes the other way, you're still going to have these problems. And I hope that you find ways to help resolve them in a satisfactory manner. Please let us know how it goes. Write us back and let us know how it's going. Hey, if you're listening at home thinking, hmm, these people just might have some advice for my problem or my kid's problem, send a question our way. Email us at momanddad at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group like this listener did. On to our second listener question, once again being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. In all the parenting articles and all the parenting podcasts about coping with the pandemic, I think perhaps even this very podcast, I hear 20 minutes of screen time won't kill your kid. I get it. Do what you got to do. It'll work out. 20 minutes of insert mildly educational program isn't going to hurt your kid. Just hand them your tablet for 20 minutes. I think the whole point of this is to be reassuring and tell us that we're doing okay, and perversely, it makes me feel even more guilty. Let's be real, my kids have watched their first 20 minutes of TV before 8am. I have a 10 and a 13 year old, and I'm pretty sure that since March, they have memorized the entire 20 plus year run of The Simpsons. My 10 year old daughter does a Duffman impression that is both hilarious and mildly disturbing. They do virtual school for umpteen hours a day. I send them to play outside. I send them to walk the dog. I suggest that they go play ping pong or shoot baskets for a while. But at the end of the day, we're two working parents with the kinds of jobs that tend to be more than full time, and our nearest family is 10 hours away. They're watching hours and hours a day of quality programming like The Simpsons and Dude Perfect. And the most I can muster is to tell them to watch something that they both agree on. Can you please quantify the amount of screen time that melts a child's brain? Is that the same as the amount of screen time that I'm supposed to feel guilty about? Are those two things even correlated? Yours in desperation, 2020 work from home mom. Listen, there's so little to feel guilty about trying to parent during this pandemic. I mean, think about it this way. Your government has failed you. Most likely you're, you're writing from the States. This is a thing that has happened to your family. So if you were in a hurricane and you found yourself sleeping somewhere under a very thin blanket or under a pile of newspaper, you wouldn't feel guilty because your children were cold because this is a thing that happened to you. You would feel bad about it, but you wouldn't feel guilt. So that screen, those screens in your house are your pile of newspapers keeping you guys warm during a time where heat is very difficult to locate. Um, And that is okay. I would just say in terms of, you know, what is the number? I can't tell you that. It's different. You know, there are children that are completely immersing themselves in screen time right now, and they are going to write the code, come up with a program. Maybe one of them will come up with a kid's version of Zoom that has like a big pink microphone and a big red stop button so that they can, you know, actually have an easy classroom experience as opposed, and, and the children can have an easy classroom experience in the future as opposed to the kids that are going through it right now. But the recommendation from most experts is that kids get an hour of physical activity a day. So make sure that your kids are getting up and moving. Don't It can't just be a suggestion. You do have to mandate physical activity. You can also find ways to incorporate what they're doing uh, with these screens in a productive way. Is there an interest in maybe 
an online cartoon drawing class because of The Simpsons? Is it comedy, right? Is there something that works their brain a little bit that can be drawn from their uh, attraction to the screens? Come up with that. Make sure they run around the block a little bit. And it's okay. You're doing the best you can under that pile of newspapers. Dolly, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) I think 20 minutes is the minimum. I mean, I think (laughs) truly, like, I think... Look, again, my kids are are older. First, I just want to cop to the fact that, you know, I said at the beginning, we're like in our fifth rental in five years. Like, I've just given up on so many things. And long before COVID, I will confess, since we've moved to this new home, we don't have a dinner table. We all just take our plates and watch Third Rock from the Sun. Like, we have the option to sit at a table and we choose to watch TV. So, like, I am in no position to tell anyone how much is too much because we apparently don't have dinner conversation. And I feel like if I had to find a through line through this entire show, it is... Dan watching with his daughters, Jamila watching with her daughter, like my kids, without a doubt, like both of them have committed the new Borat movie to heart um, by, you know, (laughs) complete memory and launch into it, I would say seven or eight times a day. Uh, Like, I just think humor and joy and the ability to parody and to like refract off this freaking existential nightmare to a place where you are in humor and joy is just good. It is just objectively good. And I think were COVID to last for six more years, we could really have a good medical-based conversation about how much screen time is too much. But It's not just that this is your newspaper in a hurricane. I really think for our kids, making sense of the world, trying to understand what the hell is going on. For my son, one hour of Mike Birbiglia, one hour of Patton Oswalt, like puts him in a place where he has control and mastery because it's funny. And they watch Trevor Noah the way I like drink wine because it like mm-hmm. clicks the world into making sense for them. And so I just feel like, my God, if they're going to choose something, let it be The Simpsons. Like let it be something that refines critical thinking and parody and irony and all those skills that are completely seemingly lost. I have just got no problem at all. Maybe that's just, you know, I'm drinking way too much wine, but I have no problem at all saying to my kids, if you watch Trevor Noah and the end of that, you understand gerrymandering, like that's been a freaking great day and more power to you. And I guess I just feel like, the 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 curse of this moment is that we all think that somebody's going to say 22 minutes is too much and 19 minutes is not enough and that is going to guide us through this insanity and i just think like the fact that none of this is quantifiable it's just if your kids are like jamila says getting outside they're walking the dog they're still kind and compassionate humans they're still seemingly capable of empathy toward one another in the world let them watch the simpsons You guys are being very kind to this mother who is clearly committing child abuse (laughs) by letting her children watch seasons 11 through 32 of The Simpsons, the bad seasons, (laughs) when instead they should only be watching the first 10 seasons, the good seasons. So other than that, I think this mom is doing- Last season was great. 
Eh. Uh, I'm actually very curious whether kids who just experience The Simpsons as just like 32 years worth of episodes and you just pick and choose them, if there is any differentiation for them between the great early ones and the bad later ones. Mm -hmm. Probably not. It's probably just going to be like how kids think the Star Wars prequels are great. They have no idea that they're bad. Mm -hmm. People talk a lot about the quality and the kind of screen time that kids have as being generally more important than the quantity, right? Counting up the number of hours is not really as relevant as thinking about what the screen time is. In general, I feel like your kids are having the best possible version of screen time. As Dahlia says, it's funny, it's engaging to them, it's probably teaching them something. As I see from your letter, it's a way for that they are doing this together. They are not retreating into phones or the news or something that doesn't allow them to interact with each other. They're agreeing on these things and doing them together and engaging with them together. I think that's valuable. You're getting them outside in addition to the hours that they spend watching TV. That's fine. God, if my kids only watch TV every day, I'd be thrilled, honest to God, because instead they're just like on Discord or whatever, things that I, shit that I can't see and don't understand and can't talk to them about in any way because it's just like beyond my ken. So, yeah, I think basically you're fine. And I think to answer your sort of specific questions, I don't think there's an amount of screen time that melts a child's brain. I think there are kinds of screen time that can melt a child's brain. I don't think your kids are engaging in those. They're probably still watching less Simpsons and Dude Perfect than I watched G.I. Joe in 1983. And I turned out eh, basically fine. The amount of screen time you're supposed to feel guilty about is totally up to you. And probably is a, something you'll never solve for yourself if you're like me. You will never stop feeling at least a little bit guilty about it. Funnel that guilt into pushing them, as Jamila says, to make sure they do get their hour outside, their hour of physical activity, to make sure that the screen time they're engaging in is interesting or constructive or at least collaborative in some way. You probably will never get rid of it completely, but like, I don't think you need to let it overwhelm you the way it seems like it might be to some extent. We are all living lives of quiet desperation right now, 2020 work from home mom. It's fine for you to be doing it as well, and your kids are also fine. All right, thank you for the question. Listeners, if you want us to help you, send in your question or conundrum to slate.com so we can tell you it's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's move on to recommendations, the part of the show where we recommend shit that we like for you, our loyal listeners. Dahlia, what do you got to recommend for our listeners today? I don't know if this is appropriate, but it's something that I'm very mindful of right now. And again, I think it's kind of popped up in various threads today. So my friend Lisa Demore has written a bunch of really good books about parenting, uh, particularly teenagers. Um, I think the one that is the cult favorite is Untangled, but she's also written Under Pressure. And she also, I think, uh, writes about some of the stuff for the New York Times. But she said something that is totally freaking genius that has like really implanted itself in my brain for parenting in the age of COVID. And that is the thing that our kids are missing out more than anything that we are not seeing is adults who are not their family. <laughs> and like relationships, particularly for slightly older kids. So relationships with adults who are not their parents or their grandparents and not their teachers are the thing that has completely fallen away. And we don't notice mm. it because we're working really hard to be their everything. And when we can't be their everything, we like slough them off on their grandparents. <laughs> but like they need to have relationships with people who are not their family 
who are mentors, who are not even necessarily formally their teachers. And like, we have really seen that if we say to our kid, I know this seems weird, but I'm going to put you on a Zoom (laughs) with this person. And they hate it every time because it's weird and unnatural. But those are all the people that if they were having normal life, they would be interacting with all day, day, every day. And I just like think the paradox of this moment is if we were doing this really well, they would be separating (laughs) from us. Uh, particularly when they're teenagers and instead they're like thrown back on us like 98% of the time. But like, I just really think we've like completely blind spotted that, at least in my family, having adult mentor, non-family, non-teacher people in their lives that they can spend time with, even if it's virtual. And so I just really, really recommend that your kid will tell their great aunt, like a thing that they would never tell you or anybody else. And like, they need those channels. So I don't know if that counts as a recommendation, but I am recommending it because I just think it never occurred to us that we weren't there everything, (laughs) but like, we're really not. So that's my recommendation. That's a great one. And it's totally legit. That's a super great recommendation. Uh, I appreciate that reminder because Naima's extended adult village is so important to her. And I know that they're missing her too. So we definitely need to do some Zooms. Jamila, what about you? So my recommendation is pet insurance. I wish that, I know, yes. I unfortunately had to take our beloved candy girl to the ER on Sunday night, which is quite an experience during COVID. The animal hospitals are, of course, overwhelmed with emergencies and things that are not emergencies being brought in as emergencies because it's very hard to get an appointment. She was lethargic and vomiting up a very smelly, likely bile vomit for uh, 48 hours. And I ended up um, unable to get her appointment, took her to urgent care and spent a lot of money. And I thought about pet insurance. I'd intended to do it during our last move. I just didn't get around to it. So I'm reminding everyone that a pet needing x-rays, needing blood work can cost you thousands of dollars, even if there isn't a serious issue. I can only imagine, and we still don't quite know what it was, but she seems to be doing better now. Yes, this is costing me dearly. I was very fortunate to be able to do it. Um, And hopefully there's nothing that's seriously wrong with her because I would hate to have a cat go find me during a political uprising. But um, I love this little girl. So get pet insurance. Great recommendation, especially for dogs and cats in the late stages of life. It's particularly valuable then, but you never know when disaster may strike. I am recommending a game, as I often do, a new game that our family has discovered called Tokaido. Um, We'll post a link in the show notes to a place you can get it. It is a delightful, extremely low stakes game in which you are a traveler in medieval Japan traveling to Tokaido, the road from Kyoto to Edo. And your job while you're on that road is to just have as many nice experiences as possible, to go to as many inns as you can and buy souvenirs, to eat interesting food, to meet nice people and have nice conversations with them. And of course, to go to hot springs and soak with monkeys. You're just trying to do as many nice things as you possibly can. And so is everyone else. And at the end, the person who did the most nice things wins. It's just a great game. We really loved it. We've been playing it a lot in our house. It's also beautifully designed, beautiful to look at and fun to play. It's called Takedo. Check it out. Great for teenagers. I think probably any kid over 11 or 12 would be totally fine with this game. 
Your last game recommendation almost killed my child. <laughs> that was like five game recommendations ago. Thank you very much. It was. Four of those have not memorable. killed your child at all. Because we have not taken a single one of them out of fear. <laughs> this Only game one has no five. bouncy pieces that will kill anyone. However, Only it does have like 200 little cardboard coins that you have to pop out of a sheet okay. and then pop a little square out of the circle of the cardboard coins. So if you have a nope. Montessori type kid like Harper, they'll really enjoy it. Otherwise, it will drive you crazy. Nope. Grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> That's our show. One more time. If you've got a question, email us at slate.com. Post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to Mom and Dad are Fighting, subscribe already. Subscribe on your podcast app of choice. We're on all of them. It helps us out. It makes sure that you won't miss an episode. While you're there, hey, write a review. It helps people find the show. I mean, write a good review. Don't write a bad review. Write a good review. It helps people find the show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and the great Dahlia Lithwick, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening.